Good morning. The state of drugs and addictions in Winnipeg. All the shows are focusing in on that this morning. My first guest, Marion Willis, is coming up here in just a moment, founder of St. Boniface Street Links. But I want to get into the conversation with her with this audio, this clip of Corey Guest. He was on the start this morning with Mackling, McGeary, and McNabb. Corey is with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Listen to this. I'd say probably the difference today is the mixed bag of drugs that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of polysubstance use, so people are using multiple different drugs. And we know how our patients are presenting. They're presenting like they're taking a variety of different drugs. The lethality and the toxicity, I'll say, of the current drug supply uh, is making people very, very sick. And it's making the treatment that we provide significantly more difficult. Corey Guest at the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. More from him and others as we go along here this morning on Connecting Winnipeg. But let's bring in Marion Willis, now founder of St. B Street Links. Marion, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Hi. I've saved lots of time here. So I, this is, I think, a really important conversation that you and I are about to have. React, first of all, to what Corey said there. Are you seeing that as well at uh, St. B Street Links? Uh, Corey is absolutely correct. Um, you know, as you know, St. Boniface Street Links uh, provides services to all wards east of Winnipeg's Red River. And because we've housed so many people, we've become almost citywide because we have people in every ward throughout the city, pretty much. And I can say that this is the, that that is a citywide statement. And Corey is absolutely right. Uh, the Narcan that we carry um, is uh, not as effective as it used to be. It takes two, three uh uh, tries and oftentimes we're calling paramedics. And you know, I, I think the other thing too that I want to emphasize, and I know there's lots that you want to talk about as well, we've been emailing on this, um, mm -hmm. but there is no, or it doesn't seem like there is any safe recreational drug anymore. No matter what you take, you don't know what's in it. You really don't know what's in it. You know, the, the, the drug cartels that make these drugs, you know, they know their consumer base, you know, and uh, those drugs now are drugs uh, that are designed to, uh, to get you addicted and to keep you addicted to absolutely everything. And, you know, it's surprising. Like, we've had people that uh, have been meth users for years that actually died of a fentanyl overdose and never used, never bought fentanyl. It was actually in the meth that they consumed. Hmm. So what do we do about this? And there's, you know, so many other, you talked about housing. Uh, you know, there, there are so many parts to this puzzle, so many pieces to this puzzle. Uh, what do we do about drugs on the streets and the people who are addicted to them? How, how do we start tackling this? Because it feels like we're losing the battle. We are losing the battle. And, you know, um, it, it, it's really challenging because we really need to change how we think about homelessness and addiction. We need to be able to, to really understand that uh, all homelessness isn't the same. You know, there is the homelessness that 
the Reaching Home Agreement addresses, which is largely chronic homelessness for Indigenous people, you know, who've been out there homeless for years. We have a different type of homelessness now. And this is the homelessness that is an outcome of a drug epidemic, the pandemic. And I always try to say to people, you know, we don't talk about the pandemic anymore, but we still have a bit of a crisis. It's a post-pandemic crisis, and we're still dealing with the aftermath of all of that and what happened to people during those two years. Everything became so much worse. And the population demographic struggling, uh, sir, it's absolutely everybody. It's not, you know, there's no one group that sort of holds the corner market on homelessness and addiction any, anymore. It's everybody. And so we have to look through that lens and we have to understand that, you know, the organized crime, the violent crime, the homelessness and the addiction, it's largely all uh, interrelated and interconnected. And so the police are certainly doing their job and kudos to the police. They're doing some fantastic work out there. Um, but, you know, our street outreach teams need to be able to work closer with police and need to be willing to work with police because we have a lot of, you know, feet on the street, you know, sort of intelligence out there. We kind of know what goes on. Um, and, you know, we need to uh, recognize that we have to build programs that are inclusive, uh, that everybody can actually access and get help. And we need to change the way that we think about uh, addiction recovery services. You know, um, right now, the wait list to get into a 28-day program, and a 28-day program is not much help to a drug addict at this level, but the wait to get into those programs is weeks, if not months. You know, we have new detox beds funded. Okay, well, that's good. But really what we need is we need, we need long periods of drug stabilization for people. And if we can't actually build those programs, then we need to take large buildings. And I'll, I'll be really controversial and say like the ADNUC, for example, bring that back online, put teams of people in there and offer recovery services to people who are willing to populate that building, put teams of people in there. We have to be a little more creative, a little more innovative, and we have to find ways to embrace change. And I swear, the more we try to push for change, the more things seem to stay the same. Uh, we can't stay the same. It's costing uh, too many people their lives. It's costing everybody else quality of life. Um, you know, um, uh, I don't like, uh, you know, uh, uh, waking up every morning to uh, reading the paper to find out, you know, who died or, you know, look at the horrific events of this past weekend. You know, um, I'm not going to uh, suggest that the people in that house were drug users. I'm going to say that a lot of these rooming houses, you know, uh, are places where there's a lot of drug activity and it's pretty easy to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. In a lot of, uh, uh, you know, we just have a very... Um, you know, the inner cities become a very, very dangerous place to be. That's why you see homelessness now scattered through all the neighborhoods because everybody's looking for safety, you know. Uh, so there's, there really is hell. There's, there's lots to talk about. You know, I think the mayor is really onto something with the 24 safe space idea and really expanding uh, those uh, into neighborhoods. Um, we're going to open one on St. Mary's Road. I think we need to open one uh, in Elmwood. You know, we need to open them in the North End, in the Centennial neighborhood. Uh, 
you know, over by St. John's, we need to actually create these 24-7 safe spaces and take the pressures, you know, off of the inner city, reducing the number of people that are actually using the regular shelter systems so that you've got smaller groups of of people. It's easier to manage situations. It's easier to work through those 27 safe spaces to link people to income supports and housing and the RAM clinics and have care plans for people. That's the kind of work that we need to do. We need to move away from just the standard sort of way that we, you know, address homelessness, you know, go on a wait list to go to detox, but detox really isn't a match for uh, for your addiction challenges, you know, go to treatment, but the treatment programs are really no match for the addiction challenges of today, where really we have uh, a huge struggle in the city and this province, and we just keep throwing some money, you know, at uh, initiatives, and it's all well-meaning, but the money is all for naught if you don't actually understand what you're trying to address. And and also, um, if you don't have a plan, I, I keep saying that, don't I, that we need this plan. And um, it actually has to be a plan that brings all the parties to the table and uh, where we, we, we look at it all. You know, the police have the organized crime piece and, you know, they're doing what they can to suppress and to prevent the drugs from hitting the street. And I really can't say enough about just how uh, proud I am of our Winnipeg Uh, City Police Force and the RCMP that have with their integrated unit who have teamed up to help. Uh, But the rest of us have got to start doing uh, our part here. And our part is to embrace change so that we can begin, uh, you know, we need to be able to inform government so that government actually has a clear understanding of what's really happening out here. If you don't really understand it, then you really can't uh, you know, um, address it in the ways that it that it needs to. So, you can tell my little frustrated health. <laughs> yeah, and I understand that. You know, you were vocal during the civic election campaign over a year ago, saying we need to better understand these issues so that we can properly address them and you know fix them. I guess is one way of putting it. You mentioned the mayor. You like some of the stuff he's um, uh, doing and and talking about doing. What about over on Broadway, this new NDP government? Are you optimistic that they'll do a better job at understanding and dealing with these many issues? I think that they innately have a better understanding. Uh, Will they, though, change uh, the way we do things? I don't know whether I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that. You know, I heard in the throne speech uh, the premier talking about putting more money into ending chronic homelessness. To me, that looks like more money into reaching home, which really is a wonderful agreement and, you know, funds a whole range of services with organizations that work really hard, you know, but uh, those funds and chronic homelessness refers to a very small percentage of the overall homeless population. And we need to think way beyond that now, like the, the uh, the challenges that we face in this city by far exceed the mandate given uh, to organizations through reaching home. We need a different strategy, and it's got to be one that's in- inclusive. And I think that we need to sort of look at how do we pull justice in and how do we pull health and mental health and addictions and housing and how do we pull all these government departments together so that we can have that conversation. I have a feeling that these days when they hear my name anywhere, they just kind of all stop listening, you know, because I keep saying the same thing over and over again. But I'm going to keep saying it because I do know, you know, I've been doing this for 37 years. 
You know, I think I have, a, you know, some I'm a bit of a living historian when it comes to this. And while I certainly uh, don't profess to have all the answers, I do know that you need to have a strategy, a plan. And uh, you can't uh, produce any good outcomes uh, unless you really have a good understanding of what it is that you're trying to address. And the uh, homelessness is a very uh, different um, um, uh, challenge than it was uh, back in 2016, you know, when St. Boniface Street Links first launched and launched Morbrook House. It's a totally different de- demographic now. You know, mm-hmm. the drug uh, challenges are just so, everything is just so different. You know, I still yeah. have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that we have so many young people who aren't even 18 years old facing second degree murder charges and it's all over the drug trade and you know, it should be really easy for everybody to look through that lens and understand the interrelatedness between all of these issues and just how dire a need there is for a plan. Hey, Marion, I've got one more thing I want to say, and, and if you can try and keep your answer short, I'll try and keep my question short because I'm over time already. But I, but I, but I want to ask you this. A few of us had a conversation this morning about homelessness. And we're seeing this in the states. They're they're shutting down encampments in cities across the U.S. A more tough love approach to homelessness. And and I worry that if we don't start seeing some action on the issue here, some real results, that that part of the community out there that wants to see tough love, they want their bus shelter back. And I understand that. I I really do. But if we don't take this opportunity and do something on homelessness. Uh, right now, we're going to miss the window of opportunity. Right. And uh, and I agree with you on that. We need to be much more proactive. We need to uh, become much more outcomes-based in our expectations of funded organizations and outreach teams and housing initiatives and so on. Uh, in this city, in this province, and across this country, we should be providing funding to organizations based on the number of people housed, not the number of people, you know, who are out there homeless, you know, and using that as a as a number to 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 describe need and funding, you know, and 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 all those things. Uh, clear across the country, we're all facing the same challenges. Clear across this country, there needs to be change and. Uh, uh, that change is certainly uh, very evident here in the city of Winnipeg. Marion, thanks for this and all you do. I appreciate it. You're welcome. The country is tired of Justin Trudeau, tired of his government. Global's David Aiken there with the bottom line in this new Ipsos poll. I was just looking, there's another Leger poll that basically says the same thing if an election were held today polyev and the tories would win a majority but it's a poll things can change right as we heard in that david aiken report that i played you in full before sarah's news at 11 trudeau thinks i got time to turn this thing around tories trailing uh sorry the liberals trailing the tories by about 14 points depending on which poll you look at 14.72% think that Trudeau should step down and hand things over to somebody else for the Liberals as they head into another election in a couple of years. Let's talk about this now with Shannon Sampert, political scientist and columnist. Shannon, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, The number's not good, though, for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals federally. 
No, those numbers haven't been looking good for a while now. And it's definitely indicative that people are getting tired. I think there's a bit of tiredness from COVID, tiredness from the economic bad news, and just basically tiredness of the old status quo. They want to change. And uh, I think that's what those numbers are reflecting. But yet, you know, even with numbers like this, it seems what people around him are saying is that he's going to hang in there. He's going to take this Liberal Party into the next election. He's, in fact, looking forward to it, if you believe uh, what people are saying. Um, I find politicians really interesting. Um, And I get it. A lot can change in a couple of years. But when you see numbers like this, and there's a long list of politicians that just didn't get the message, I kind of feel like Trudeau's not getting the message here. Well, that's the that's the problem, and that's kind of the ego that comes into play here. And it actually, uh, more than anything, is is the uh, concern about an internal revolt rather than him not listening to the external polling numbers. There's always this uh, idea that the only poll that matters is the one uh, on election day. But more than more importantly, I think what Trudeau has to worry about is what is going to happen internally within his caucus and within cabinet. How can he continue to count on support internally from his own party uh, when he has those kinds of numbers and what happens with uh, people who are interested in becoming the next leader start to work against him. That has always been uh, the downfall of every political leader who is in that kind of a position where the polling numbers do not look good it becomes their downfall that kind of internal bickering that leads to uh, unrest and chaos it doesn't help you build money it doesn't help you build uh, 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 provide for a good recruitment strategy it doesn't help for party finances it's not a good thing I think Pierre Polyev and the Tories have done a good job on a couple of issues, one of them affordability uh, especially. They, they're winning that battle, right, the, the public opinion battle. Are, are these numbers more about Polyev being strong or Trudeau being weak? Probably Trudeau being weak, right? I'm not so sure Polyev would be the, the perfect candidate in a general election for the Conservatives. No, it is about Trudeau being being weak and people being voting against rather than voting for. I think that uh, Polyev is very, very um, weak potentially for the Conservatives on a number of issues, uh, particularly uh, the, you know his stance on minority issues on on Ukraine and other. You know he's got a very weak uh, kind of uh, a number of on a number of positions. But also mm-hmm. what we're seeing uh, right now is kind of um, uh, an echo effect or echo chamber effect. A lot of people are looking at him going, oh, this is the new Polyev. He looks a little hip. He looks interesting. And people aren't really paying attention to some of the policy issues. And so they're looking for change. And, and I think the liberals might get some momentum if they actually change later. Yeah, so that would be, if you were advising the Liberals, you'd say, you know, despite what Trudeau wants, get rid of him, give it to somebody else. That's probably your only chance of forming government again, at least based on the numbers today. I think that he would be very smart to gracefully step aside and allow for a transition prior to an election and allow the party to rebuild based on a new leader and a new kind of direction based on that leader. We don't often see 
a, a party leader drag down a political brand like we're seeing here. And then you could even take it another step into provincial politics here in Manitoba, that liberal brand, which is being dragged down, I think, by Justin Trudeau, the individual, the leader, that liberal brand as well is uh, hurting in the province of Manitoba. And I think we saw that in the provincial election. Well, I don't know about that. I think the the, the uh, in the last... Uh, 20 years, we've basically seen uh, politics come down to the leader rather than to the party. And every time we've had a new leader, regardless of which party they've taken on, we've seen a shifting of the brand to become about the leader rather than about the party. So it became the Harper conservatives rather than the conservatives, and it became the liberals Trudeau liberals rather than the liberals. Increasingly, it is always about the leader rather than about the party. Uh, and that, that is the result of uh, increased mediatization of politics. As, as for whether or not they've got a backlash of the liberals in this provincial election, no. This is a backlash against Stephenson and the drive to get the NDP into, into government to make sure that there was no splitting of the vote. I think it was a very clear, very clear win that way. You said uh, during the election campaign, uh, late in the campaign, that you thought Wab Canoe ran a strong campaign for the NDP. He's now the premier. We're not too far into um, his government, but how do you feel he's doing? Well, I think now, as I've said throughout the campaign as well, is now he's coming to recognize just how difficult some of these uh, promises will be to keep. And uh, I think he's now aware of the reality of the difference of being in government and being in opposition. And so it will be interesting to see in the next six months how he grapples with the difference of the job that he now has. Uh, I'm particularly interested in um, the decision that he's made about uh, about uh, taking off the gas tax. I don't know if that's necessarily a smart move. I'm surprised that they were surprised by the Manitoba hydro numbers. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what universe they were living in in terms of being surprised by those numbers. Uh, and certainly, healthcare is going to be a big bugbear, as they say, uh, long term for uh, for the NDP as well. Yeah, the hydro, you know what, <laughs> listen, I, I don't know. But when I heard the hydro story uh, that day, I kind of went, I sort of, you know, rolled my eyes a little bit and went, geez, are we ever going to get a government that comes in and, and doesn't use the old, we didn't know that, we didn't know it was that bad. Oh, boy, these numbers aren't <laughs> what we were expecting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? Come on, you should have had some internal some internal information on that long before the election <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that one didn't sell with me at all either. No, I, I agree. And, you know, he's got this listening tour, uh, you know, uh, going around to different healthcare facilities. It starts on December 4th at Grace Hospital, talking to, to healthcare workers about their concerns, their ideas, their priorities. And, and I think this is good. I think that uh, industry, the people in that industry, have felt like they haven't been listened to. But at some point, they're going to want to see action. And at some point, at some, some point they're going to want to see results. And I think that is where the rubber is going to hit the road with this canoe government. Yes, I think that's going to be a problem as people are going to have some expectations pretty darn soon. And, you know, you should have been doing that during the election campaign. Uh, this is like time for you to actually put policy in place. And so I'm a little, you know, I think people are going to start getting a little frustrated uh, three months, six months 
eight months down the line if we don't start seeing some very, very real results rather than, oh, we're still talking, we're still consulting. I think people are getting tired of being consulted and actually want us to start seeing some real change and some real and real government action. Shannon, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Always fun. Talk soon. Yep.